Welcome to The Real Score, where we unspool the film reel, slip on our headphones, and discuss the character of music in the movies. I'm Sam Fife, and I'm joined for this new venture by fake nerd co-host Brandon T. McClure. Hello, I'm here too. Do I say something about myself now? I mean, might as well. I think that's a great idea. Hi guys, this is this is part of the Fickner Podcast family of podcasts, but don't let that discourage you because this is a brand new show that we are going to be talking about music. I'm Brandon T. McClure. I do, I like to call myself the executive producer of the Fickner Podcast because that means absolutely nothing. Um, and that's really what I do on the show. I, uh, I've got, you know, I got a bunch of writing stuff that you guys can do. I put my all over the Fickner the Fichter podcast you can also check out you know I'm, I'm everywhere man uh we're also joined for this show by the incredibly talented jeremy Vellucci, who has worked on all of our musical pieces for the Fichter network hey jeremy hey there guys i'm jeremy Vellucci. you've probably never seen me before and that's okay because i like it that way um, i'm a musician i do that Pretty much full time. I work as a teacher where I teach piano and guitar, uh, work as a music director at a church, and I'm also just kind of dabbling in composition and, and playing in bands and whatnot. And uh, I, I think Sam mentioned I've done all the music for the, the Fake Nerd podcast. So now you can finally put a name and a face to all the sounds that I'm making for y'all, which is yeah. super appreciated. Well, I, I just want to say, like, it's really cool. We've been trying to do something. Well, we've been trying to do this show specifically for a little while. Um, and it's really cool that we're finally getting getting Jeremy Vellucci on to do a podcast with us because he is a very talented individual. We've, uh, Sparks and I have, oh, Sam and I, what do you want me to call you? <laughs> <laughs> Here I'm here I'm Sam. So yeah, I'm I'm Sparks Witty for the Fake Dern Network. Uh, but you know, here I am Sam Fife. Um Sparks Witty is the moniker that I usually use on the Fake Dern Network, but not here. Uh, and I have a background in studying uh film and television that I got a bachelor's degree in and American studies and uh a huge film score enthusiast. So here here we are. We're gonna do this this show. I think it's gonna be a little bumpy, but it's gonna be fun. I want to piggyback off what Brandon said there, because like, I think it, it goes even deeper than that. The three of us have been friends since like 2006. Like, That's yeah. true. And we've been like a core creative group. Like the, the, the three of us have been like wanting to do like, like movie stuff to some degree for pretty much like the entire time we've known each other. Like Brandon, one of my earliest memories with you was writing like a whole freaking script for a movie in the library at the high school. And then the three of us ended up making a, a bunch of unrelated movies <laughs> after that. <laughs> but I also think that like, what's cool about doing this, this show is that the three of us kind of connected on going to movies and also being like really into the scores. You know, like I think the first movie that the three of us, I, or at least that I saw with, with, with you all was King Kong in, we mm. saw that in theaters. And I remember going and downloading the um, the uh, the score to that and listening to it all the time. And I know that it played in like it, at least your car, Brandon, too. So like like we've been we've been like connecting about scores since we've known each other. So it's crazy that now we're doing a whole show on it. Yeah, and I think that that's 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 really fun because we've uh, we've also noticed an uh, evolution. Uh, uh, film scores over the years, even as we've just known each other, just film scores have changed in the last 20 years um, the, from where they were back when even King Kong was, was around. Um, 
and you know that's kind of what was kind of the 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 idea we wanted to kind of approach this thing is like you know how modern film scores differ from older film scores and things like that and we have such a we all each have like a different understanding of film scores i i probably know the least technical stuff when it comes to film scores um i took one class in college and i loved it to, i loved it dearly um but i'm a i'm an aficionado of them i love them dearly and and uh, you know i'm i'm i kind of approach this with like i'm here to learn you know i'm here to learn more about what i love so much it's a natural jumping off point to talk about this actually because we're talking about how film scores have changed and, and whatnot and one of the things because we're talking about the batman today right and one of the things that i wanted to talk about um primarily in regards to how film scores have changed is in so much as like how blockbusters have shaped cinematic scoring and how what we kind of like visualize when we think of movies and movie scores is very different than like say even just 20 years ago and that themes are not gone but we see less of them or at least they're a lot less developed now especially in bigger blockbuster movies i'm not going to name any corporate names like disney oh i just did <laughs> um and um you know it's it's funny it will just it's funny you mentioned that because like giacchino's probably one of the best for right, right. still bringing back a lot of score mm-hmm. um i'm thinking of like some of his marvel properties even the spider-man series spider-man i li- okay literally funny funny that you mentioned that i was doing just like a just like a sketch like a mock-up doing some orchestration and um it's on my instagram i think too i posted it and i got like a minute and a half into it and i kind of hit the like the, the chorus like the the climax of the piece and i got like halfway through it and then i realized wait a minute this is the Spider-Man theme. <laughs> I literally had rewritten the Spider-Man theme, but it was a good, it was a good theme. You know, like that was that, that was the reason I was, I was playing with it. Cause I got this idea in my head. I was like, Oh, da, 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 you know, and, and it was like, wait a minute, this is Spider-Man theme, but it had stuck with me. I didn't realize that it stuck with me, but it did. Sure. Cause it's yeah. a good theme. Yeah. I also like his, he did the first Dr. Strange uh, movie and I think he did a pretty good Dr. Strange theme. He's, he's, he's very much, well, the reason why we're talking about the Batman is we're talking about the Batman. Michael Giacchino is the Batman. And the reason why we depict Michael Giacchino specifically is because he's very old Hollywood in the way he approaches his themes and his scores. Um, He is one of the few, few blockbuster composers specifically who is doing, um, who makes sure that he creates themes for his characters, for the characters that he's scoring in the movies that he's doing. Mm-hmm. And with a movie like The Batman, which is a detective film, a very like neo-noir kind of suspenseful movie, you wouldn't think there's much room for a musical theme, like a melodic kind of theme. And, you know, especially in modern cinema, there tends to be an emphasis on minimalism when it comes to melody. It's kind of like a, a modern take on, on, on musical scores. And um, what's interesting about this score is is both. It is both melodic and features symphonic development of the melody and the motifs, but it's also very minimalistic in order to keep the the energy of the movie, you know, contained. Right. And so, I mean, like I, I, I because we were doing this, I went in and I and I really did like a deep dive study on the score, and um, I saw a lot more in this score than I would have if I had just watched the movie. Um, but you know, that happens anytime you, you, you dig into a score. This is one of my favorite scores of the last like 10, 15 years, to be honest, mm. really. Like, I didn't think I was going to like it this much when I saw the initial trailer and we'll get back to this. Cause I think it's actually interesting. Excuse me. That, um, 
we heard the theme in the trailer. That's kind of unusual. But when I heard the theme originally, my first thought, same thought that everybody had was, that's just the Imperial March. That's just Darth Vader, man. And I wasn't very, I wasn't floored by it. I was, it was kind of, I was like, this is, this is nothing. But <laughs> boy, do I have a lot to say on it now. Oh man, do I have a lot to say on it. And I think that it's one of the best examples of long form symphonic development in a blockbuster movie, especially with the, the fashion, the trend of superhero movies these days. And the fact that a lot of them don't have very recognizable themes. One of the things that I, that I, that I ask my, um, my students when I'm teaching like composition and whatnot, as I say, okay, hum Thor's theme. Sure. <laughs> you know, like what, what's that? And, and like, if you go into the score, you could probably find what would be considered his theme. I haven't studied the score, but you know, like I, I can't remember it. it. It wasn't developed enough in the movie. And which I think is a shame because I think, you know, with the MCU, the way it is, how connected it is, boy, wouldn't it have been cool if all those characters had really recognizable and developed themes. And when they got together, it would be like this whole thing. You could do a whole thing with that. We've been, we've been saying the same thing. We've been literally saying that the three of us together have been saying that for uh, over a decade now. <laughs> and, you know, what's a shame too, is that there are some good scores within the MCU. Um, you know, we mentioned the, the Spider-Man theme is, is, is good. I like uh, the, the Dr. Strange music. I especially like Danny Elfman's multiverse of madness score. I thought that was just, just belligerent, um, really fun. Um, but um yeah, not a lot, not a lot of like really great themes. And I, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to be inflammatory or anything, but even, even Sylvester's Avengers theme, I'm kind of like, eh, it's okay. It's fine. You know, but like, it would have been cooler if it had been a, an umbrella or like a, like a tree of all of the themes in the Avengers, you know, it would have been more impactful. So, I mean, that's my opinion, but anyway, talking about the Batman, this movie has um, really great themes and not a lot of them right there's the the, the that the, the main thing yeah um there's selena's theme there's the ave maria and mm -hmm. then there's the sort of what we call the um I, I, in the um in the score uh, the the piece that i've been naming it after is the that's true calling And, um, I've been I've been calling it like in our notes uh, when I was writing down like where it was used. I was calling it the Gotham theme mm -hmm. because I th I think I, well, now I think like I think the Batman theme is also partially a Gotham theme. But I'll I'll get to why I specifically think that when we get into it in a bit. Well, because I, I I actually have a counterpoint to I I've, I've really <laughs> dug into these themes. Um, I don't know when you want to talk about about these specifically. We'll we'll get into those in just a moment. Let's do let's do real quick. Uh, we are talking about the Batman, um, composed by Michael Giacchino. Uh, this is a film that is written by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig. It's directed by Matt Reeves. Uh, Giacchino, of course, is famous for scores uh, like we've mentioned. He's also famous for scores like Up, Ratatouille, Doctor Strange. You guys set up top, and of course, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Giacchino has worked on four films with Matt Reeves before. Uh, this that include the previously named Apes and its sequel, 
War for the Planet of the Apes, along with Let Me In and Cloverfield. Um, and when I was doing some Matt digging Reeves? about this... I'm sorry, Matt Reeves directed Let Me In? Yeah. Ooh. Nice. Uh, I saw them at Comic-Con. Yeah. Weird. Uh, <laughs> so when I was digging into this, I learned that um, Giacchino composed the main themes for the film before anything else had been shot. Uh, he designed for moods and concepts based on conversations that he was having with Reeves at the time. And then Reeves played some of that for the actors and Robert Pattinson credited it for helping him form the character, oh, uh, which I think is really cool to know. So like um, the, just as you highlighted Selena, the Batman uh, Ave Maria, all of those things, those were kind of formed as ideas for, for it uh, just based off mood before anything else had even happened. And what, a difference that makes in the overall um, delivery of the film, because what in, in talking about the Ave Maria, just separating that um, specifically, it's a, it's a famous piece. Everybody's very familiar with it. It takes on a very interesting context within the film. It's both diegetic and non-diegetic. Right? There are moments where it is meant to like tell the audience to, 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 um, to hint to the audience that the Riddler is around, like when, when they're at the funeral, like it's, it's mm-hmm. used right in the sound design, but then it's also used in, in, in the, in the, um, the stage, right? Like Riddler sings Ave Maria, like in a right. way, he, like knows that's his theme. Real quick, Jeremy, because you use the terms diegetic and non-diegetic. For those that are listening that might not know, I know what you're saying, but uh, explain the terms for any listeners who might not know those terms. Sure. So, like, uh, the best definition that I can I can I can use for that is like if you hear a a, a song playing uh, within a movie, and then like a character turns off the radio and the song stops, right? Then it is that that piece was diegetically within the movie. The characters could hear the, the piece of music. Right. Uh, I think, uh, I think a good example in the Batman is what you just mentioned, like the funeral scene when they're going to that, you have a boy's choir in the scene singing Ave Maria. At first you don't see them, but you do. And that is diegetic. It is part of the film. All the characters are hearing it too. Mr. Wayne, Mr. Wayne, you know, you really could be doing more for this city. Your family has a history of philanthropy, but as far as I can tell, you're not doing anything. If I'm elected, I want to change that. My God. I'm going to go pay my respects. Will you wait for me? I want to continue this. Right. And, and that makes for a really interesting, you know, playing with sound in the movie because it becomes much more woven into the story that way. It forces you to ask questions in a way that like just, you know, like having a, a kind of nondescript underscore wouldn't. So the fact that the music was written sort of concurrently with the, the rest of the process of the film 
super, super interesting. And, and um, I think that they might be onto something, <laughs> you know, or at least, at least in so much that what I, what I noticed with a lot of like corporate properties, you know, and franchises is that the music, a lot like the animation department kind of just gets sidelined and, and thought of as just kind of like, Oh, it's just a, it's just like a background product to, to make the actors look good. Right. Like that kind of is the, the, the vibe I get from it's an afterthought. Yeah. It's, it's an afterthought. Right. And you have a lot of really, really talented people working with a lot of teams of writers and, and like a music editor, like, you know, coming, coming through all these different suites and, and music uh, productions to create a score rather than like the, the, like John Williams model of him sitting there with a stopwatch and a piano and like filming, uh, you know, doing doing it to the dailies. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to score a movie. This is a really interesting way, but primarily it brings focus to the music in relation to the characters. Well, I want to mm-hmm. I want to talk about that kind of collaboration, that collaboration real quick, because like. You know, you're right, Jeremy. We rarely see that. And even even in John Williams' heyday, you know, let's call that like the gold, you know, the Jerry Goldsmith, the James Horner, the John Williams, like we we didn't really see it a lot then either. <clears throat> they were, but they were, uh, there was a bit more collaboration between the director and the composer back then. But something like this is kind of like, almost like Michael Giacchino was heavily involved with the writing of the film so much as, uh, who did you say was the writer of this film mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's Matt it's Matt Reeves and Peter Craig right it's almost like he was in there in the writing process with them he was there in pre-production which is very rare to see a composer in in pre-production and you know you kind of see that as like you know we you probably see that similarly in like Werewolf by Night another Michael Giacchino production that came out last year but he directed that too Mm -hmm. so like he was composing and directing that at the same time and so that was that's so that's even like even even a rarer thing to happen. So like with Michael Giacchino and Matt Reeves and and Craig Robinson, Peter Craig, Peter Craig, thank you. Craig Robinson is a very different person. Um, yes. Peter Craig have done is kind of create a collaboration unheard of in Hollywood, and and it made and it made the the score and the and the movie by default better for it. Mm-hmm. It, and it stems from you know that's why I mentioned the the history between Reeves and Giacchino up top is because. That's why it happens. It's it's that Matt Reeves knows Giacchino personally and wanted to bring him to this project specifically, uh, knew that it was something he'd bring a lot to the table. So they start having those conversations the moment that Matt Reeves knows he's doing this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it, it's it's there's a brilliance to the simplicity of this score. Um, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. No, absolutely not. In fact, um, speaking from the perspective of a composer, the simpler your music, the more developmental potential it has. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, a th- this this theme. I've been calling it the vengeance theme. It's only two oh, notes. Oh, sure. Right? Um, you only need two notes for a good theme, right? Oh, sure. I'm, 
<laughs> you ain't too. I'm so glad you played Jaws specifically because I have a comment about that, but go oh, with please. what you're saying. Okay, so 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 um yeah, what I was mentioning is, is the developmental potential. Um, you know, just just from composer perspective, a lot of times composers, um, and not not speaking strictly in Hollywood, I'm talking about, you know, like anywhere from amateur composers to professional composers, um, they get locked into their music and they start writing some some long theme and whatnot. And the 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 more complicated your theme is the more difficult it is to fit that into the the puzzle of your symphonic development. You know, like if you've got this big elaborate theme, you know, try try that theme with with more than the chords that you've already selected, you're gonna have a hard time. But something like this, there's only two two notes in there. Those two notes have a lot of crossover with just basically all all the chords and all the, the music theory that you could think of. Like these two mm. notes have unlimited potential to develop with so he has a lot more room to play with good composers tend to err on the side of simplicity even john williams the man the goat um he what he plays with like the most simple chord progressions of all time most of his themes are twinkle twinkle little star like it's 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 just it's just the truth and that and that's what makes them so accessible but of course he's got the 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 lineage and the and the and the pedigree to back it up. I mean, he can he can compose a lot with with those uh, really simple chords. So what I think is what I think is interesting about what you said there is that we see oftentimes with scores, um, so many so many times in like a um, let's 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 pick let's pick Spider Man let's pick let's mm. let's pick real quickly Spider Man No Way Home, which brings back uh, two other Spider Men who have. Themes, you know, James Horner composed a theme that I think is pretty good for the Amazing Spider-Man, and Danny Elfman composed a theme for Spider for for Tobey Maguire's uh, Spider-Man movies. And I think both both of them are pretty distinctive, but they're not interwoven into Giacchino's score for the movie. And I wonder if that's because those themes are possibly more complicated than something far more simple, like we see with like Jaws theme. When when there's a long th when there's a long song going on, a long suite going on in Jaws, and then Jaws shows up you can quickly play his uh, jaws's theme real quickly and, and people will know oh he's there well um on that there was a moment where um they used the danny elfman theme very briefly in in no way home and i thought it was a weird moment actually i can't remember exactly where it was but i thought I, I i remember thinking that's a weird place for this <clears throat> this, this piece of music and i want to say it was like mary jane's theme or something it was it was like why to use they do use Ox theme, which I actually really appreciate. When he shows up, they use Elfman's Doc Ox theme show up yeah. quite prominently. So okay, I, I mean, really, the the what you're saying it, it could be could be some degree of it, but also I think it's more to do with the fact that like, there's just there's just too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to like a, a Marvel movie, and you know, Giacchino working on a Marvel movie, you know, under under the umbrella umbrella of Disney, he's probably not got all the control that he would maybe with, with this film or, or something else. Um, and, you know, you have a lot more, um, a lot more hands, you know, dipping in and deciding what's going to happen and what's not. I think it had more to do with that than it being too complicated to, to fit in. Cause you can, the, 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 the themes are, the themes are pretty, pretty simple in the sense that they're, they're recognizable with just, you know, a few notes like the Danny Elfman's theme is, you know, those, those sort of like, like, uh, arpeggio kind of things in the strings are very you know pretty easy to pull off in any key so you could have you could have done that i think it was just more to do with the you know the the, the corporate elements than anything. Right. and i and i want to i want to real quickly point out um 
James Horner's The Amazing Spider-Man theme is very funny to me sometimes because it's very close to Titanic's theme, main theme. Oh, that's a lot of Horner's music. Wait, <laughs> Horner, Horner reusing music from other things? It's not that he reused it either. It's just that it's very, <laughs> very close. Right. Yeah. He, he took he'll... it, changed it a little bit. Yeah. Don't don't sure. go watch Bible Goes West unless you want to hear an Aaron Copeland album. <laughs> Bible Ghost West is a great movie, but we're not here to talk about that. Bible Ghost West, it's such a guilty pleasure. Me too. All right, we're um, talking about the Batman, though. Let's go yes, back to the Batman. The Batman. I really like that you call it the vengeance theme. Um, I think that's very accurate because I've been referring to it as the Batman theme, but not in the terms of it's Batman's theme, but it's really the theme of this film. If we um, want to talk about that, <laughs> I yeah. have so much to say about that. <laughs> yeah. So, real quick, what I want to get off is that um, I think it. I think it Giacchino masterfully orchestrates it throughout the film um, and amongst other simple yet resonant cues and the way that he changes it and manipulates it to fit into all these different uh, settings, which we'll get into them uh, later in the episode, how they're fitting where they are. Um, there's an obsession with shadows that, that Batman has uh, that really comes across from using this theme. And, you know, it's so right on the line of like, this could sound like a villain's theme so easily. Um, and it keeps him in that gray area. But the reason I wanted to bring that up is because you brought up Jaws specifically. And like my my main statement, like this mostly goes to the opening of the film, but I think it's accurate of the whole film overall is what the vengeance theme is saying is Gotham City is full of predators and the Batman's the biggest predator. Yes. Uh the Batman is Jaws. We're we're on the we're on the same page. Here. We're here, baby. We're here. Um, yes. In fact, in the in, in the opening scene where uh, where um, uh, Batman is is doing the opening narration, talking about you know his his role in Gotham, essentially, the um, it, it doesn't play the theme exactly. I'm going to do like a. You know, it's it's like like a. It's, it's almost playing it, it, it like in the double bass. You can hear you can hear the, the uh, uh, an echo of the, the the rhythm of the theme, and we don't hear the actual established theme with I think the bells. It might be wrong. It might be a different instrument, but the actual established theme until you see him putting the makeup on and becoming the Batman. But it's from the first bar, the establishment of, and then what you're saying about the the shadows and and, and predatoriness, the horns and like the 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 um the bass clarinets and, and, and bassoons are going like boom, boom. And like just little sweeps, like shadows moving in the night. Really, really cool introduction of the theme. Um, but Talking about that vengeance theme and why I call it the vengeance theme, because th that the word, the vengeance theme, came from um, reflecting on how it parallels with the, 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 what you were calling the Gotham theme. Check this out. So this is the vengeance theme, right? It, it's, it's, it's a major third. It's, it's B flat to, to, to G flat. Which, side note, kind of weird that that's a major chord, because major chords are demonstrably happy. <laughs> kind of weird that it's it's playing a major harmony, but 
One of the reasons why it would be a major harmony is because it's just a comfortable place to land. And the Gotham theme, or uh, what I was calling um, the Bat's True Calling, is grown from that theme. Instead of going, it goes. Anyway, it's the same, it's the same theme. And the reason that I think it's really interesting is because if you relate it to the character arc of the Batman, think about his like his position when the, 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 the movie opens. He's dealing with a lot of trauma and he's sort of dissociating by becoming this predator, right? And when you when you liken it that way, he's landing on a very comfortable which is like, it's a resolution, it's a period. That's the end of the thought. There's pain and I'm gonna stop it. Um, bah, bah. I don't need to think any further than that. But when he starts growing as a, as a character, the resolution doesn't come so easily. He has to kind of like work through the, the conflict of the tension of the notes. We're not done here. Still not done, still have it resolved. You know, and then we're then we're back home. So it 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 me it 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 reflects the sort of like the therapy that he's going through essentially. That in order for you to grow, you have to face conflict. You have to face tension instead of just landing on the very first thing that sounds comfortable, which is I'm just going to take vengeance. So uh, I want to say I want to think I think I want to say completely focused on the moments and uses of um, you know the Batman's true calling or the Gotham theme. Yes. Um, so the, I'll tell you the reason I called it the Gotham theme. Mm-hmm. I'm very confident of this because when I rewatched the movie this last week, I was pretty much shutting out anything that wasn't scored to the best of my ability. Sure, 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 sure. Um, and uh, do you know when that theme first comes up? Off the top um, of your head, Jeremy? Oh, uh, I was listening for it. In fact, I think I wrote it down. tell you it's it's um, when he's funeral. it's yes it's when he's in the car going to the funeral to the funeral yes and and that was one of the reasons i called it the gotham theme is because it's like it's like gotham calling out to the predator of the batman mm. because it, you're seeing the people on the streets during that moment um yeah. demanding uh, they be treated better, demanding justice, being upset at the corruption that's being revealed by the Riddler. Like the Riddler has riled up something that's real yeah. uh, in the city and is a real problem. And that really like looking forward to the end of the film, right? That's Batman's thing that like the way I was going about this, that's not the way this is going to work. 
I can't be I can't be the shark in Gotham. I have to be the hero of Gotham. In a way, I mean, we're kind of we're kind of saying the same thing. He integrates into Gotham instead of hiding from Gotham. He becomes part of Gotham. He shows that not that really, but he shows himself. Yes, exactly. So that theme (laughs) that theme shows up at that moment, and then it comes back in again for um, when he first goes back into his parents' room mm-hmm. in the manor. Yeah. Uh, and it's there. And then mm-hmm. it's reworked into um, the end of the movie when he's saving the right. people and, and guiding them out. When they, when, they, when they go off on the motorcycles in opposite directions. Right, the very end of the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's really good. Uh, yes. Go ahead, Brandon. Well, what's so interesting to me is that what we're talking about, or what you guys are talking about so succinctly, is very similar to our review of the movie. We, we, we've we reviewed this movie on the Figure Podcast. Uh, we all gave it glowing reviews. We all really liked the movie. And we talked about many of these same points, but through the context of what the film is telling, what, what the scenes are telling you. And what I find so interesting is that we're getting the same we're getting the same thing from the music, almost as if the music is 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 taken separately. Like you remove the music from the movie, it's still telling the same story. That's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> <laughs> but right, but that's what I'm talking about. But that's what I'm talking about because we don't see that often anymore. No, we don't. And well, I mean, this is why. I mean, oh, not to get all radical on us, but like this is why I feel like capitalism is destroying movies because it just like you know like too many cooks, there's too many people deciding what the music is is going to be in a movie. In fact, you know, again, not to get all political, but like even even Johnny Boy, Johnny Williams, you know, like he doesn't write the way not and not be, not 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 detriment to him. It's 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 the way that the you know the the business element sort of controls it. He'll write like for Star Wars, he wrote some sweets. And then it was kind of like chopped up and put together by the music editor. And it's it's not quite it's not quite the same. It's not he's not, not scoring the picture anymore. And you know, I I I I really just kind of blame the, the the enormous corporate entity of of Disney for 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 being you know a little too controlling uh, of their of their intellectual properties. But you know, it's it, it is just it, it's kind of a shame because we're losing not not totally because there's still lots of movies with with great music, but at least in the in the sort of vertical integration, the monopolizing of blockbuster films, we're sort of losing the score. It's getting pushed further and further away from uh, the the focus. And not to say that it should be the focus. I mean, it should all be it should all be homogenous and and, and working in concert with each other. Pun not intended. But you know, we don't get a lot of that because a lot of times the music is really just like it's just treading water or like like capturing a mood but not really connecting dots and yeah yeah i i think i think you're right i think another thing is that like the batman it's clear in the just the way that this film was made is made more the way that like films used to be 20 years ago where the project is fully like has full resources and consideration dedicated to it they're not they're not necessarily like trying to pump it out to fill in a catalog. Right. Uh, and you can say that about, the, I, I think that applies to more than just the Disney films. I think that there's a lot of just like trying to pump out a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, I think like most straight to streaming film scores are forgettable, not all, but most I, I agree. Um, because they're, because they're pumped into the system so fast. 
Yeah. And what is this is a WB movie, right? This is this is Warner Brothers. Yeah. Warner Brothers is pretty famous for for doing the same thing that Disney does. So I'm actually pretty surprised that I that this movie kind of escaped that. <laughs> I think I think a lot of it has to do with Matt Reeves, to be honest. I think yeah. Matt Reeves is one of those directors. I think him and Mangold are both uh, James Mangold are both directors at this point in time where when you bring them onto a property, you leave them their time to cook on the project because you consider the final product to be artistic. Well, and I think studios for one, for one reason, for one reason or another studios seem to give them that kind of consideration. Uh, sure. It's, as that, it's, it's artistic. That, it's that release date mentality, right? Like James Gunn was talking about that when he, when he brought up his new slate, like people, companies so often set release dates. Okay. This movie is coming out this week. We need this movie to be done by that moment. And you get that with like the Hobbit, right? The Hobbit is a good example. The Hobbit was being edited up until the release day. After after the premiere of the Hobbit, it was still being edited. There was no final edit of the Hobbit until that movie dropped in theaters. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So like, as there's, like too much material we didn't edit enough <laughs> right and like so like sometimes sometimes that has been known to work there are other examples where like a movie is good and like oh we were actually editing up until the last minute okay cool well i'm glad that worked out for you but other times it doesn't and it's so often that these kind of ideas to hit these release dates because you have to hit these quarterly earnings you have to hit these you have to make this much in this in this month and and it's so detrimental to what filmmaking is meant to be and like blockbusters i get have always kind of been this like idea of like you know these blockbusters are always supposed to make the biggest bang for your buck we put the most money into them and we get the most money out of them um and that's kind of been the that's kind of been the thing for like 30 years almost maybe more are you Uh, saying (laughs) capitalism's fault is that what you're saying brandon that maybe this is all to do with capitalism well yeah that's exactly what i'm saying but like so but like to bring it into to what we're discussing here and not necessarily uh trying to we don't live in a free market trying not to get into into too much of the politics but keeping it centered to the discussion here but like you know when you don't have to consider to consider what release date this movie is going to hit you get honestly a much better a much better experience yeah. and a much better production experience. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. There, and, I, and, and here we are thinking about the movie in depth because there was a priority on, on the art. Yeah. I thought that for a moment, Jeremy was about to go full Paul Dano and shout lies. Uh, and corruption <laughs> Don't worry. Into- I plan on singing Ave Maria in its full entirety in the Latin at the end <laughs> of the podcast. So stay tuned. Fantastic. Um, I, I think uh, another thing to point out is just, who knows, but it's also possible that part of the reason this, this film comes out as polished and well thought out from an artistic sense as it does is the pandemic. Um, We know that they, you know, this movie was made throughout the pandemic. Um, They, they knew they were making this movie like Giacchino was working on these themes before the pandemic happened. And then the movie wasn't even finished until long post the pandemic. So there's more time for it to bake. Yeah, and also because he got such an early start, that release date mentality probably was a little less looming over the project in the music department, and they were able to use it in the marketing. Which, because it it's such a like foreboding and predatory theme, very effective. I'm so I'm so glad you brought that up. They drop the theme, the vengeance theme, um, the opening vengeance theme in January, two months before this movie comes out. 
and it immediately becomes a top hit video of people right. what like you know like people were interested in what's bat what's the batman music going to be like and just it grabbed it, people you know it's it you're right it did grab people you know i mentioned i, I you know I, I teach and one day um i was i saw one of my students and he came in and he sits down at the piano and the first thing he says, dude, I learned the Batman theme. And inside my mind, because I'm an old person, I was like, oh, like the animated film or like the, the Tim Burton. And then he sits down and goes. And I go, oh, of course you'd be the new Batman theme. What am I thinking of? And then it, it struck me like, wow, you were interested enough in that in that theme to sit down and try and find it. I know it's only two notes. I probably didn't take very long, but like it stuck in your mind. I've never heard anybody, you know, to, to, to pull from, from earlier, come to me and say, look, I learned the Thor theme, you know, like, because they don't care. The Batman theme was interesting enough in those two notes. And especially in that trailer that it left an impression and people hum it. Um, the person that I learned uh, composition from or the master classes that I took, um, he showed this video in one of his, in one of his videos uh, of his like young son, who was like two or three at the time. And he was playing Knight Rider and he was like playing with the toys. And then like he like he did like some little stunt and he ran away humming the theme. And he used it as an example to be like, look, I didn't teach him the Knight Rider theme. He just was using it in a moment of play because it stuck with him as like, this is the adventure theme. And now I'm Knight Rider. And when themes really stick with people, it happens that early when like kids are just like they don't even have a concept of like the relationship between music and and, and film they're just like da, 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 you know like i can remember doing like the indiana jones theme or the star wars theme like humming it as i played because it was i i wanted to feel like the characters and the, those themes were representative of those characters you know you know what that reminds me of did you guys ever see disney's lone ranger movie with johnny depp and army hammer no oh i did not Okay, so so that film is not good. It's a terrible movie. Um, but, That's what I've heard. But here's the thing. But here's the thing. At the end of that movie, the last the and the last act of that movie, the theme song for the Lone Ranger plays. It's the only time that that theme plays in the movie. In the whole movie, the Lone Ranger theme song plays. And I gotta tell you, man, it is the most spectacular twenty minutes I I saw that year because the theme song was playing. Wait, a minute, but did they did? Did they not use it in the rest of the movie? No, it's just in the last twenty minutes, and it's and it's so much. It's, and the and the last twenty minutes of the movie have such a much better energy. The whole movie changes because that theme song played, and like I was like, "Oh shit, this is great now." Where was this the whole movie? <laughs> Missed opportunity, right? They didn't right. see it as valuable to the like the characters or or the adventure of it. They saw it as like a you know like a an easter egg like fan service yeah. oh here's the theme but like it's integral to to your connection to the to the characters in a movie it's it's what it's like what decorates the character and allows the abstraction of the conversation with their like what's going on in their mind to to be transferred to the audience it's, it's part of it like i mean there's a lot of good stuff going on the subtext in the writing the way the actors are performing their characters but also the way the music relates you to those characters it's all working in concert with itself and when one of those those elements is removed and and we're seeing a lot of that in in movies when the music is removed then you feel less of a connection to the characters it's just it's just it's just that simple yeah um so going back and talking about the the Batman's true calling um, 
uh, or the Gotham theme, whichever way you want to look at it. Uh, you you mentioned like it's in the motorcycle separating scene. Um, so the, it comes in right when Selena says that uh, that you're spoken for. That's why you're not going to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when it starts. I think it's so fascinating, not just that it's there, but that we end on that sound and not the vengeance theme. The theme, yeah. like what would arguably have been the theme for the overall film. We end there, not with, you know, the comeback in of like when he turns his face away from her on the motorcycle, you kind of expect a little bit of the dun, 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 like very triumphant or something, oh, but they don't happen, do it. Though. No, it does happen in the bells that the, 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 um, the vengeance sure. It it does. It's a hint, and I think the way the reason that it's in there. But you know, real quick, you know what I mean. You know oh, what yeah. I mean. Like yeah. like oh, yeah. like other films no. would generally just like push it up. It's subtle, and it's behind what we're talking about. And 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 that's that's why I I I, I was relating those themes to each other. You know, the the Avengers theme and the the the, the Gotham theme is that not only are they they connected in a melodic sense, but also like thematically to the movie. It's showing that growth in the character. It's not where we started with. It's in there. And 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 Gikino makes it clear that that theme is connected to it. But by the end of the movie, we're on a different theme because the character has grown. Oh, that's how it should happen. That's how we should do music in movies. Anyway. <laughs> but you know, I and 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 that's that's what made me really like start digging in and, and looking further into the score because if you're thinking about it at uh, on that level what else is in that score and there's so much in this score to talk about we barely even started talking about it i've got so many notes on my phone you guys it's like we the ave maria the the nirvana song even shit let's talk about the nirvana song for a second because that that thing the oh wait recognize that it's bum 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 it's the same theme something in the way is the same but slightly different to the vengeance theme and i think it's really interesting that they play it when bruce makes eye contact with the now orphaned child but he's also a rich kid just like bruce wayne was it's like Look, we're using the same cadence. It's a little different. Like, if you want to get technical about it, the, the vengeance theme is quarter, eighth, eighth, quarter. And something in the way is like, yeah, quarter, quarter, eight, eight, quarter. Just a, just a scramble of it. It's like, it's almost the exact same thing, but it's like the same theme for a different person. You know what I mean? And it's like it's like they're using that song when they make eye contact with each other to, to, to like establish Bruce thinking internally like, oh, you're going through something really similar to me, huh? It's not the same thing. You haven't landed on the vengeance theme like I have, but it's the same cadence, it's the same feeling. So the uh, uh, music supervisor, George Draculius, uh, mm-hmm. he's the one who brings all the non-score pieces to the film. Um so something in the way by Nirvana is brought to the table by by him. Uh, and so you have to assume, we don't know a, a hard answer on this, but you have to assume that he hears Giacchino's theme. Because it was early. And finds, yes, because it was very early, and finds something in the way. 
to go with it. And it just, you know, there might've been other suggestions that Matt Reeves chose from, um, but it, this follows the theme rather than the reverse. They weren't trying to match something in the way, something in the way worked with what was already being constructed by Giacchino. It's one of the few times that I've actually really liked just like a, a piece of music that's not connected to the film being integrated into the film because it was done with what seemed like careful consideration. I don't know the whole process, you know, like I, I didn't even know that the, the music supervisor picked it, but you know, they must've been in collaboration with each other. They must've had a conversation about it. Yeah, generally, like uh, we, again, don't know that that was the situation on this one, but generally what will happen with a music supervisor is like, they'll, they'll bring pieces to the director, not usually the composer as much mm -hmm. and say like, Hey, does this, you know, like, so there might've been options. Sure. Um, and they both kind of came to this one because of its connection to what Giacchino was already building. And uh, on another note, I really love what Giacchino does just to, it's the whole moment with the helicopter and his final narration for the movie and something in the way comes back yeah. and Giacchino fills some stuff behind it over like slowly progressing under it uh, to give it that heroic ending. Yeah. Um. You know, you could even you could even go out on a limb and say that it was not intentional, but subconsciously you could hear the connection. Like it's like it's like that that phenomenon where like you'll be listening to a song and you'll be like, oh, this reminds me of X, you know, mm -hmm. and, and and maybe you don't have the music theory knowledge to, to understand it. But you're like, man, I can hear that song go into this song or it sounds just like this song or something. And, you know, it's because there's only 12 notes. So there's a lot of crossover between music. Um so it could have happened unconsciously. It could have been a conversation, but there is a connection between those two songs, um, and it's really, it's it's really uh, easy to spot when you're looking for it, <laughs> right? <clears throat> so it's just it's it just an interesting moment. Um, I wanted to kind of like touch on like all the all the musical moments in here. Let me get the let me get my notes open again so I can I can pull shall that. we shall we uh, do this in pieces? I think maybe talk about all the uses of of a theme section. So um, yeah. we've got we've got three big ones. Like you've talked the vengeance theme; it's the largest because it's all over this movie. Um, Ave Maria and the Riddler's every scene. <laughs> yes, uh, Ave Maria and the Riddler's theme, and then uh, Selena's theme. Um, where where would you like to go next, Jeremy? Well, let's see. We've done quite a bit with the vengeance theme and connecting and it. Yet, to there's still theme. more. There's there's still more. Um, I think that. Oh, hang on. What was this? Uh, oh yeah, no, that's, that's yeah. Let's let's move on to the Ave Maria because I think uh, let's 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 talk about that in in depth a little bit. We touched on it briefly, and, sure. and talking about how it's you know diegetic, non diegetic, but also. There's something I didn't even think I was going to mention in the podcast, but I think that that it it it's worth talking about. The Ave Maria is the only theme uh, uh, that's uh, um, provided for a character that's not an original piece of music. There is this sort of you know like a, the discordant version, but it's not it's not an original piece. It's its own piece, and when if you view that decision under the lens that the Riddler is a psychopath. It kind of fits in the sense that like his theme is not authentic to him. It's a mask he wears, especially mm -hmm. when you take into consideration the fact that it's both diegetic and non-diegetic. He knows that that's his theme. He sings it at some point. So the fact that 
it's not an original piece. It's something taken from another source and, 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 and established for him is really interesting in, in uh, correlation with his character, which is very focused on masks. So the tracking on this seems to be, seems to be that they, uh, Matt Reeves ha- did have a little interview talking about Giacchino making the score. Um, and during part of it, he says that, you know, the, uh, they knew they were doing the orphanage background for Riddler right. and that um, when um, renewal was brought to the table and he was there, he was doing the boys choir singing right. Ave Maria. And the character becomes trapped in right. that that part of his life. And, and thus yeah. Ave Maria becomes the defining sound of him uh, because he's caught mm-hmm. in that moment. It's like, and, that, and, and that's exactly because I was I was gonna touch on the exact same exact same story about how he's he was like trapped in that. And it is it is sort of eerily reminiscent of the way that you know, like if you, it, when you, when you like study into serial killers, like the way that they, they establish like masks to, to fit into society, you know, it's, it's similar. It, it has that same sort of like, I don't, I, it, I, I, the je ne sais quoi, I can't, I can't really quite put my finger on it because I have something, a, a, a certain, a certain je ne sais quoi. Yeah. Something in the way uh, that they, they, they chose that music. Um, but you know, yeah. that kind of goes to, that kind of also goes to like, you know, he's, he looks at Batman as a kindred figure, almost like he modeled himself after what he thinks Batman is doing. Mm-hmm. And so like, so like kind of creating that, that, that theme around him, that theme that's not quite Ave Maria, but it isn't, but it is Ave Maria. Uh, the idea of like, he's, he thinks he's Batman. He thinks he's helping Batman. He's like, we've been doing this together. And so like he has this, so like that theme kind of represents that, right? Like he's, like, he's not quite, he's not right in the head because he doesn't quite see what Batman is really doing. He's, 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 he himself has perverted what he thinks Batman is doing and puts on the mask. Like he's Batman, but he's not Batman. He's like a perverted Batman. Right. I think that's, I think that's very apt. uh, What you said there, Brandon. Um, I also, want to go back to something Jeremy mentioned much earlier, which is the use of Ave Maria in the, in the funeral, because um, Ave Maria, Ave Maria is used really well. And Ave Maria, and then the Riddler's theme uh, twisted out of it is used really well in two specific moments that I want to highlight, which is one is the funeral. When they're going to the mayor's funeral, you're hearing Ave Maria. And at first you don't see the choir. So you don't, know if it's diegetic or Uh non-diegetic and thus you are like okay so riddler's here which is the same thing that bruce is doing bruce is looking in the crowd of people and wondering is this the riddler is this Uh the riddler Uh this is a person who tried to move this is a person who's complaining about stuff is that the riddler um and then he sees the choir and so it's like okay i guess the riddler's not here or at least it's not obvious um and I think that's really effective. But the one that really gets me about the Riddler's theme uh, that I love so much and and like watching it this time is when I really not noticed it, but appreciated it. 
is when Ave Maria is like just building up out of control and dominating the entire space as Bruce is standing in front of the Riddler in jail and hearing him say Bruce Wayne. They'll remember both of us. Uh, because to Bruce's mind, it's the Riddler saying he knows. Mm-hmm. And until the moment yeah. where where Bruce finds out that he doesn't know, it is it is like like the villain has come to roost. He's got everything. Uh, really giving the juiciest stuff of the Riddler's theme to that moment because that's what Bruce is afraid is happening. Right. And then the moment that he he finds out that that's not true. It dissipates away. But oh no. Let's talk about the billionaire with the lying dead daddy because at least the money makes it go down easy, doesn't it? Bruce Wayne. He's the only one we didn't get. Right. It's almost like that's the first the first um, piece of the the puzzle in um, like Bruce Wayne's cognitive behavioral therapy. And then the next piece is when he hears the reflection of I'm vengeance in the in the in the sniper. Right. That's it's like, oh, it clicked. And that's when he become then he makes a, a decision to change what he's going to do in his path. Um, sure. Yeah. Great use of music in this movie. Just to throw out. And like. Paul Dano really sells that character. Oh my God. Robert Pattinson too. Robert Pattinson, I should say. Um, I, I can't believe that hasn't come up. And if we don't call this episode Robert Pattinson, I'm quitting. <laughs> First episode, you're already quitting. <laughs> well, that's it. We didn't call it Robert Pattinson. Did you, did you, did, did there's, so there's a podcast that I listen to called the weekly planet and they, and they were trying to figure out, okay, well, it's Batfleck. What's, what's, what's Robert Pattinson? They said, they said Pattinson. And then eventually it evolved into Robat Battenbat. <laughs> Oh, God, that's next level. I'm down here. We're on another planet of existence. Jeez. And you can actually buy a shirt that says Raw Bat, Bat, and Bat. <laughs> Has anyone well, ever been decided as to want to go do look more like whatever the hell it is? That was, that was pretty much it. <laughs> All oh right. And, but yeah, I, I, I think, I think, Dano is great. I think using the using the Ave Maria theme. Uh, and here's the thing. So like I come to I come to film scores as kind of as just kind of like I, I like film scores, but I, I don't know a lot about film scores. And and I, I, I wish that weren't true, but it is. And so like I come here right, and I'm like, and it's easy. It's simple. Come on. Of course. But like what <laughs> the, the thing is, but like the thing is like all this is still happening to me. What you guys are talking about, this is all subconsciously happening to me while I'm watching the movie. And so as you guys are talking about this, I'm, I'm having like revelation after revelation after revelation of like, Oh, right. That's what I was thinking. This is because Ave Maria, because when you're watching the movie, when you're watching the movie, the funeral scene, 
And what 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 I what I really like about the funeral scene is like oh, and you can feel the Riddler's presence there. But like I don't have the the knowledge or the the kind of like um, experience to say why I, I I feel the Riddler is there. But as you mentioned, like it's because Ave Maria is playing. Oh right, that's why I think the Riddler is in this scene because that's because that's what music is meant to do. It's it's supposed to help you feel the same way that the characters are feeling. Brandon, you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> very beautifully in fact how music works especially, yeah. especially in a few uh, a film context it and like i was saying it's 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 an portraying it's conveying an abstract and it's doing so with sound but even if you don't know the language of music you if if the music is successful you are still getting an impression of that abstraction inside like that's you're still getting it. it you don't need the the knowledge of music theory to connect with the music and that's when it's done well that's the beauty of it and this movie did it splendidly yeah, uh this, this is why i wrote down uh when i was taking notes that you know the good the good scores make you feel something yes because music can make you feel something and a good one will do it the great scores make you feel something with the character um, and this is a great score. I think Giacchino does such a good job. He establishes up front that he's going to trust the audience to recognize his music because it's it's the beginning, it's the vengeance scene. You are filling in the blanks of feeling like Batman is there, which is what the characters that you're seeing on screen are supposed to think, even if Batman isn't there. Yeah. You go back to the funeral scene. It's not just Ave Maria with the Riddler. It's also moments before that when uh, Falcone shows up Yes. And he sees a boot step out of the car and we hear Selena's theme. So we are meant to think, just like Bruce, that that's Selena. And Selena is there up until the moment that he knows that she isn't. Right. In a way, the 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 music sometimes, if, especially when it's when it's done effectively, is sort of spoiling things for the audience. But not really, because it's counting on the fact that the audience doesn't have the the, the knowledge of a you know music theory composer or whatnot. But it is. It's 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 spoiling kind of like an anime intro, showing everything and all the characters and all their fights in an intro before the first episode. So you kind of have an idea of like who with all the players are in the show. In the same way, the music. When it, when when the score is done properly, like giving you a hint of a theme when a character steps out, I want to say that's before we find out that Falcone is Selena's uh, father. Right, but, but that's not. Yet. What? Go ahead. But that's not the. But that's not the point. Is he knows there's a connection between them, mm -hmm. and so Bruce is expecting that to be Selena. And what all of these bits that we're talking about, whether it's the Ave Maria at the funeral, Selena's theme at the funeral, or the Riddler's theme in Bruce for Bruce as he thinks that the Riddler is saying, "I know you're Bruce Wayne," is it's putting you in his head. Yeah, it's saying like this is what he thinks. He believes that is Selena up until the very second when he finds out it isn't. He believes the Riddler is at the funeral up until the point where he starts to disavow that belief. And it, what's interesting though is that like he's not wrong when when that theme plays and Falcone steps out. It's like, 
oh, I guess I was wrong, but he wasn't. They 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 are connected, and that 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 theme being a being a uh, you know connected to Selena in, in in transitively is connected to Falcone because he's her father. So like it kind of it, in that way, what you're saying because you know Bruce Wayne's a detective, it's putting yourself in his head, but in a very layered way because he's got the pieces to the puzzle. He's trying to figure it out. And you're, you're supposed to be following along with him going, oh, yeah, I guess that's not Selena. But like both the audience and, and the character were both closer than they thought, you know, by hearing that theme. It's What's so interesting about this movie is that, you know, this is really the first time that we spent, you know, inside Bruce Wayne's head. Like as a detective, Batman's head, we don't really do that in Batman movies. And I've always wanted them to. And, and like to a certain degree, the... Uh, I say what you will about the Dark Knight. I don't think it's a very good detective movie. Um, I still don't know what the hell he's trying to do with that brick. But like, I think that like, I think that like the Batman movies don't often put you in Bruce Wayne's head. And what's so instrumental about doing that in this movie is through the music. The music, like I said before, like it almost feels like like Giacchino was in the writing staff, like talking about this movie, writing this movie with the people writing it, and because like. If we're going to do a noir detective film, we need to be in Bruce's head. We need to learn. We need to be thinking what Bruce is thinking. We need to be doing. And what you're talking about with like Selena, the film does, the film does, yes. It like it's clearly Selena's boot. It's clearly Selena's boot that walks out of that and you're like, okay, that's Selena. But her theme plays at the same time. And so it, it creates this idea of like, okay, we're with you, Bruce. Yes, that's Selena Kyle. Let's let's be on that on that detective journey with you in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of times, um, you know, bring up Dark Knight as a, as an example. Um, the music can sometimes be effective, but still divorced from the characters. Um, an example that I can think of is Joker's theme in Dark Knight is a single note being played on a cello with a lot of bow pressure, and it's just meant to sound kind of. Hans Zimmer said he wanted it to annoy people. He wanted it to be, you know, upsetting because it's just a single note and, and it's played in this kind of like screechy, scratchy kind of way. Um, now that is very reminiscent of the character of the Joker. It's kind of like chaotic. It's it's saying you expect a theme from me, and right? I'm, I'm just I'm a single note. You know, that's very Joker. But it's also not getting you into the mind of the Joker in any scenes. It doesn't have enough capability to do that. It's just, it's just there to set a tone and to be, to be a mood. And I haven't studied the score and, and I haven't really watched the movie in, in, in a bit. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm probably missing a lot of details there, but just, just, you know, speaking hypothetically, a lot of times there, the music is divorced from, from the, the inside of the characters because it's really just trying to set a mood or set a tone. This movie, by way of what they were trying to do, absolutely demanded that the music convey what's going on in the character's heads. And so just by, you know, way of what they were trying to accomplish with the movie, they ended up doing what you're supposed to do with music in movies. (laughs) It's just what you're supposed to do. Well, there's a lot. It's like they reinvented the wheel. Right. They came to the same conclusions that are like written down in a book. (laughs) Sorry, Sparks. No, it's okay. okay. Uh, there's a there's a lot of thinking that um, is clearly present in this film that a decent chunk of it is structured the same way that like good detective and noir 
scores are constructed. It's uh, especially, I'll say, the quote-unquote quieter versions of the vengeance scene when he's doing detective work and how that's placed in. Um, Selena's theme itself is born out of this, like, quieter again kind of uh version of the vengeance scene when he's following her and then it starts to bloom into selena's theme and selena's theme is formed in this noirish flavor out of bruce's interpretation of watching her it starts it starts gentle and seductive and then it ends with her leaping out of the window with that big flourish and i think that that's like it you feel it like build into this what is bruce's idea of her and it's like oh she's very kind oh she's kind of sexy um all of these things that turn into what is selena seen for the rest of the movie right it's 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 music from the perspective of bruce wayne which is right. very you know, apt to, to, to say so because her theme is um, very ambiguous, right? The, the, the strings going like, you know, like the, the, the high notes, it doesn't, it doesn't have a, a strong melodic core to it. it. It, there is a melody in there. Absolutely. But it's definitely a mystery. You know, it's right. meant to sound like, like all those elements that you described. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't have like a swell. It doesn't have like, a true like um, uh, resolution either. Like the resolution so, is very tense. It gets closer to the swell. Cause when we get, when we get to later, it, it gets to what I called the most romantic use of it, which mm. is when um, Bruce stops her from shooting Falcone. And he says, you don't have to pay with him. Yes. And right after he says that line, you hear like a little bit stronger on the strings, a lot more like there is almost a swell. He has to pay! I don't have to pay with him. You paid enough. almost a swell for mm -hmm. 
something that is turning into real love between the two of them. That's like what it's supposed to kind of sound like. But because, you know, that's where you get to later. But when you're first introduced to her, it's what I said with uh, how it builds. And then you hear it come back when he's in the, the mayor's room with her because he follows her and uh, he pulls her in from the cop. And it starts to be, again, like that kind of seductive sound to it mm-hmm. as they're held against each other. And then it becomes this more gentle, slow, sorrowful version in the moment after that, when they go back to her place and find it ransacked and and her friend taken. Right. Uh, And so it gives you the full, it gives you this full range of everything Bruce thinks about Selena in those three beats across this large scene. We're just good friends. Just real close friends. But I really... I really love I really love the noir sound that they give to her. She said it her theme in particular sounds ripped out of like classic noir. Mm-hmm. Um and I really like again that really romantic almost swell with it when it's uh in getting into the third act. I thought that was really great. Yeah, what's <clears throat> interesting to me is that like there's no combining of their themes. Not like not like at the end. There's no like like climactic love moment where like the the theme like swells. And like I was watching Pirates of the Caribbean. I was watching a clip of Pirates of the Caribbean five, the the worst one. Um, and it's this moment when uh, like uh, Will and Elizabeth's love theme from the third movie c- kicks in. And it's big and it's powerful and it's like they 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 embrace for the first time in years. And it's like it makes you feel like oh they're in love. There's nothing like that in this movie. And I like right, that because, yeah. like, it's not—it's not meant to be. That their story isn't meant to be this cli- this like big epic love story. It's—they're kind of at odds, and Bruce doesn't really know why for a lot of the movie. In fact, right. in a way, I would say that in my my initial reaction to their kiss was almost uncomfortable. It was a kind of a twinge of toxicity in there because, like, there's not really much room for romance in this situation, and it's kind of played off that way in, in the music too, right? Because it never does reach what you're saying, that kind of like romantic element. It's always, you know, it, it's within the color palette of deliberation and detective work still, even when they are getting kind of romantic with each other, it's still tense. There's mm-hmm. a tension because, well, we know that that would not be a happy ending. There's just no, there's no room for it. <laughs> you could you could make an argument that the score is aware of how it's never Bruce Wayne coming to Selena. It's always Batman. Yeah. She yeah. It, it's always the vengeance theme before he interacts with her. Again, the exception being at the end when she says you're spoken for and that's when we start to get the Bat's true calling Gotham Bruce Wayne kind of theme. Mm-hmm. Um but up to that point, she calls him vengeance. The vengeance theme is all around her theme whenever he's interacting with her. It's yep. never uh his whole self but he it's, knows selena in well, i just i just thought of something too it's kind of like that the vengeance theme is the wedge the distance between them yeah and what's mm. interesting is that when the vengeance theme grows out into the you know the the into the the gotham theme it's when they're putting physical distance between each other yeah right <laughs> Kind of, kind of cool. There's a lot of hey guys, moments forever in this movie. Yes. Hey guys, I think this might, this is a good movie. I think it might be pretty good. There's a lot to say for sure, and like, like, like it or not, having this much to say about the artistic decisions within a movie just automatically makes it a good movie to me. 
You know what yeah. I mean? It's like there's there's enough to talk about. It's good. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's so that final note, I can't, I can't get over. Like, again, I know you brought up like the, the, the vengeance theme is still worked in there, but like the more po- dominant theme is the one you just played on the piano. fact that that's how you end the movie it's it's just it's just so i think emblematic of how smart giacchino is with knowing what a film is actually about and what he's supposed to be conveying with the score rather than giving into well a blockbuster movie would have you walk out with the uh the batman theme prominently in your head in the last shot um the the general the overall uh stick in your ear vengeance theme uh real quick i did want to make a note just acknowledging what brandon said earlier the sacrilege about the um pirates five uh (laughs) clip that he was bringing up that's a good example of score doing literally all of the work because i i watched him i watched him share that clip again on twitter and i looked at it and i'm like this is shot terribly it looks (laughs) awful there's nothing good about this except for the score and it's not even an original score for the film yeah so I mentioned that like modern movies are getting more minimalistic and I mean it in this, in, 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 in the way where it's minimalistic in structure, but not in the sense that there's not enough music. In fact, I think too much music gets written for a lot of modern movies. Sure. And, and that's an example too, where like, it just feels like shoved in like, Oh, we need that in there. But it had, wasn't connected to anything else in the, in the film. Right. Like they don't, they don't really play much with Elizabeth and, and, and Will's theme in, in the movie, right? Right. No. And, no. The, the, and like, the thing is, <laughs> the, like the thing is, like I, I think we should definitely do an episode on, on at least one of the Pirates films. Um, and and uh, and I think that'd be that'd be fantastic because I, I think Pirates of the Caribbean three is probably Hans Zimmer's masterpiece. Um, but I want to talk about something that you mentioned with like the minimalistic thing. Oftentimes what blockbusters will do is fill in music because they think music needs to be there, but sometimes music doesn't. And what, what's really cool about the Batman is that it sometimes doesn't have music. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't overwhelm the audience with his musical scores. When Batman first walks into the first walks into the, uh, the iceberg lounge, there's no music outside of the diegetic 
uh, uh, music, uh, the techno music playing in the in the club. It there's no. It doesn't like he punches the dude and the dun dun dun. That doesn't that doesn't happen. He punches the dude, walks in, and that then that later too as an echo because they play with that that scene. They do it three times, right? <laughs> yeah, and like, but like, it, but what's so what's what's so interesting is that like this movie knows when to pull back when you don't need the theme playing right now. So they what they, they there's a process in the in the composition uh, of a movie that it's called spotting. It's where they the, the, the composer theoretically sits down with the director and they decide where the music is going to be and make you know make edits and whatnot and stuff. And a lot of times especially with, with the, the, the too many cooks, too many people talking about um, the you know like in the sound department for 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 a movie, um, I think that the spotting gets kind of messy. <laughs> it's sure. really what happens. I think Giacchino being so closely involved with Reeves in in the making of this movie, the spotting was immaculate. And a lot of times, it's not that there's too much music in the movie; it's that the music is not connected. So it sounds like more than it is because if you just heard a piece, and then in the next scene there's a totally new piece that's not connected to the last piece. You now have to digest a whole new piece of music with its own color palette and all this stuff. And every time that happens, it's a, it's a, it's another, it's another meal for you to digest. When you have one theme that is layered throughout a movie like this one, it's a lot less to digest. And so it becomes less burdensome on the audience and you can get away with having a lot more music with just like a couple of themes and this is just like my, my one of my biggest uh, problems with with so many movies is like you just get just so many thundering drums, just every every possible percussion sample, uh, uh, you know, out there just 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 riding away just like all all day. And then you get these big horns and big strings and then nothing, nothing makes sense. And like it's all just every scene is just like a, a whole new piece of music. And it's just it just becomes draining. It's exhausting to listen to music like that. Um, sure. This movie actually has quite a bit of music, but it's like three things. So it's really yeah. easy to take in. So there's like, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say there's like four or five pieces and moments that don't use, or at least really, really don't feature prominently the Riddler, the Vengeance, the Selena, or the uh, That's True Calling. One of them is um, the music that comes in once and it's it's a long ways into the scene of silence but it's when bruce is with alfred at the hospital oh it's a great um, scene. yeah and it comes in and it comes in at the end and it's not creating anything th- theme you know not not a standout thing just a lovely little piece that fits the moment between right. bruce and alfred of him confessing his fear of losing alfred losing somebody i care about And if I'm not mistaken, because I, I I wrote a note down, but I didn't, I I, I forgot to write um, enough note for that scene. Um, that, like you said, doesn't use any of the main the main themes from the movie, right? Not a one. Uh, it's just it's just underscore. But because the other themes are so developed and so fleshed out and, and used throughout the, the rest of the movie, 
it's not overwhelming to include just a, a just a brief little moment of underscore just to highlight the scene and just and just move on from it. That happens in music, and it's it's not to say that you know it's it's um, disengaging from the structure of the overall movie because it's not connected. It's connected in the sense that we need music there because it's it it just it fits the scene. But we don't have a theme for Alfred and Bruce, and probably if you had a theme for Alfred and Bruce, it would get a little lopsided in the score. It like is themes. It is pretty much keeping itself to the same instruments as the Bat's True Calling. It's not going beyond that, um, but it's not using the sound of the Bat's True Calling. And actually, that's a technique that composers will will implement when they have to write without a, a you know a theme that they've been reusing. Is just using the same instruments because what it does is it to the audience is almost the same thing. Right. They can hear those instruments and go, oh, we're in that world. We're in that mood. Sure. And then a, a place where it's the opposite of that, but I think it works really well, is when Selena tells the story to Bruce about her mom mm -hmm. and it plays a harp. It's not playing Selena's theme. It's playing a harp. In Selena's theme, the harp is the undercurrent of the whole theme, right? Like right. Those high portamento strings, but it's like like arpeggiated harps. So again, taking from the color palette, it it's it's reminiscent without being the focus, without being the main character, right? Because what what is a theme doing? It's communicating to the audience something that um, is going on within the mind of the characters. Usually, that's what's what's going on, right? And so sometimes, if the character is saying what they're what what they're feeling you don't need the music to also say it that would be redundant but it's like the voice becomes the the, the melodic main instrument the leader and then the harp is just the the thing that was supporting the melody when when we were hearing the melody instead of the voice now it's just supporting her voice instead it's like you know that's that's the technique being used there yeah something that i think is often lost when it comes to modern scores is that they don't get there's nothing that you want to listen to after the movie, really. You know, I did a list of Michael Giacchino. I've, I've loved him for years, but I did a list for um, Screen Rant, uh, ranking his 10 best scores. And I think that, like, and I listen because of that, I was listening to just, I have, a, like, his thing on Spotify. I just had that on Shuffle, and it just played a bunch of his music. And I pretty much pick out what every piece of music was from just by having that on shuffle. And I think that's what he does so well. He doesn't always, he, he's such a varied uh, uh, composer. He doesn't often use the same thing over and over again. He often will change his sound to match the film. His stuff with Pixar is very different than hearing the Batman. Tomorrowland, you won't hear the Tomorrowland theme in like The Incredibles, right? Um, even though they're, they kind of have similar themes going on in those movies. And I think that's something that's, Something that's really cool about Giacchino is that you can listen to him after you watch the movie. You can listen to his soundtracks 
on your drive away from the movie. Like, like, so he has a history in, in doing like big band jazz arrangements, which is why the Incredibles is so good because he knows how to do that. Yeah. And, um, let's see what I was going to say is, um, usually people who have a history in jazz are really, really good composers <laughs> because jazz is the, is, is where you find all of those, like, interesting um dissonances and 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 harmonic colors that make tension in a melody possible or make make a make a melody flexible enough to have different kinds of tensions john williams is a jazz guy and like i don't know if you've ever listened to any of his like early early stuff real early stuff he he like released like jazz solo albums boy that man can play piano whoa and um you know he played the 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 recorded piano performance in like the west side story movie and he did some stuff with like henry mancini as a piano player before he was a composer right i mean he was always a composer but um you know he 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 dropped out of, i don't want to say dropped out but he he stopped trying to be like a recital pianist um when he was like intimidated by other piano players which is silly because he's john williams but you know he started with jazz and a lot of times a lot of modern composers uh, do not know much about jazz, and it's very evident. Um, I don't want to name names because I don't want to. I don't want to, you know, step on anybody's toes or anything. But you know, there's just there's a lot of modern composers that just don't have any history with that, and it's 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 it, it really makes the 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 pieces uh, less flexible. Um, anyway, um, but I wanted to say something about Michael Giacchino, which is really just like super niche and specific. But I have to say it because I don't know where else to say it. <laughs> so obviously, if you listen to this show, you've heard Suburban Proctologist or heard of it of some, to some degree. Um, Michael Giacchino did the music for the Medal of Honor games. And when I was doing um, that, when we were doing the episode, when we were originally doing Recordings in English Jackass, the first podcast... Um, we did that episode, Antoine in the Shadow of Nefarious, part two. And I just I just shamelessly just used the music from Medal of Honor, the Medal of Honor game that I had because I had the files on my computer from installing the game. So I, I layered that in and it became like the framework of the of the episode was using the music from that game. Years later, I'd find out it was Giacchino and ended up becoming a fan of his. But there was a, a piece of that. That's uh, in the Medal of Honor game. And it was used in a moment in the episode. And years later, I would go back and go, I'm going to steal that. And that became <laughs> what I've been using as Proko's theme in the, in the show. Is <laughs> It's just that's his theme. And so I so I ripped off Michael Giacchino um, just because I used his music earlier. <laughs> but it was not a theme. It was just like a, a stab within the game. I just turned it into a theme. Sure. Um, but, you know, it's weird because, like, that music, the Medal of Honor music, is so different from The Incredibles, so different from Space Mountain, my favorite Michael Giacchino piece. Um, oh, or, sure, yeah. Or, or, or the Batman. He has a way of um, slipping into so many different masks oh. <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, a lot of modern composers can't do. Um, there's not many of them that I really like love a lot. I like John Powell a lot. I like Danny Elfman, <laughs> but there's not too many modern composers I'm like super into because most of them have a, a sound that's just, uh, this is me and that's it. That's that. That's what they do. It's 
It's like pop stars. In What's the, the composer for a free guy? You know, Christoph I'll, Beck. Christoph Beck. I like Christoph Beck. Uh, but really, the Paperman theme is like his signature thing. Oh, I know that name, Christoph Beck. Who did he do? Did he do WandaVision? Ooh. No. Mm-hmm. No. But he did do he did do Ant-Man and the Wasp just recently, Quantum Mania. That's Christoph Beck. Is that really? Okay. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that yet, but I haven't heard good things. <laughs> I liked it. Well. Uh, I want to circle back on the vengeance theme because yeah. I think that's where the bulk of anything else we have to say about this uh, that we haven't covered is. Um, I wanted to get uh, across that I think, you know, we talked about him being in the shadows, the way that feels. Um, when we're first introduced to his theme, when I was watching it this time, I, I made a, a statement that I think the vengeance theme is almost the, the heartbeat of Gotham. Like at the time, again, going back to the idea that I said that Gotham City is full of predators. Um, and so it has this this kind of menacing feel to it with the vengeance theme. Um, and because it feels like that belongs to Gotham at the same time that it belongs to the Batman in the way that we're seeing it, the Gotham that we're seeing. Um, and I I likened it when it starts like picking up a little later into the film to like, it's this march of justice idea. Uh, people have compared, you know, to the Imperial March. Um, it has this march of justice sound that I think um, kind of blends in with Gordon in his use a lot. Uh, like when he goes to turn off the bat signal is a good moment where I, I feel like it has this very like it's got kind of a march beat to it. It is a march. Oh, funny that you should mention that because I had a thing to say about you in, in talking about how it's a march. Um, so marches typically are in the time signature of four, four. So one, two, three, four. And going back to the Gotham theme, it's in six, eight. So is Ave Maria, by the way. Um, and that's a totally different rhythm. It's really difficult to connect one ryth- one rhythm to, to another, unless you kind of know what you're doing. But, um, you know, especially to our ears, it's hard to hear four and six as being the same things and counted very differently. Um, so I think it's really interesting that they, that and I don't really have much to say on this. I just wanted to bring it up because there was nowhere else to say it, that the vengeance theme is a march in four, four. And that when it grows into the Gotham theme, that's true calling, whatever you want to call it, it takes on a different time signature. He still managed to hide right before the swell in the, in the bats true calling piece. So even though this is in four, you know, he, he, he worked out the math and did the subdivision, right. So that it, so that it, it landed on the right beats and still retained its shape. Um, and I think that I wrote down a thing about, about the significance of it being in six, eight, which is that, um, a different rhythm. Uh, oh shoot. Where was it? Oh Yeah. Uh, oh, it it obscures it from the original Batman theme, right? Because because our ears are are tuned into a different rhythm, so it's meant to feel like a totally different thing. In fact, so much so that the first time I watched the movie, that theme, the Gotham theme, 
I didn't hear its connection to anything. And I thought, hmm, it's kind of a missed opportunity that they didn't use the Batman theme at the end of the movie and just kind of injected a whole new thing. And that was my first impression was, ah, it, just, it just feels totally, totally like a new thing. Um, and I wasn't super hyped about it. But when I listened to it a few times more, I was like, wait a minute, this is the same thing. They just changed the time signature. Um, so the different rhythm grants it a more uplifting feeling. The 6-8 is very... You know, you know that that's a very uplifting kind of rhythm, and um, you know, very different from a march, which is kind of imposing. You know, I think that this this the, the vengeance theme sounds like heavy boot steps. shadowy footsteps and then the upliftingness of the of the six eight just like totally dismisses all of that 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 uh, march sound but with the same melody so it's like they were trying to remove the jacquino was trying to remove the march the imposition from the theme while still retaining the 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 melodic component and how it develops out of that so just like i said i didn't have much to say on it but it's just interesting that that they did it and i don't know the the significance of the connection to uh Ave maria also being in six eight maybe he learned from that experience and the six eightness of it you know imbued itself in his new theme i don't know you could go you could go off on a tangent and just and just you know point to your colored string wall about it but very interesting <laughs> um we're about an hour and a half in, and we haven't talked about the chase. Oh man! Um, oh man, the chase is so good. <laughs> which is an incredible scene. But what the score is doing, this is the part where, like my my comparison, probably you had the same thing, Jeremy, of like Batman is the shark in this movie. Yes, uh, it it came to like full fruition. I'm like the car, the Batmobile. The car is an extension of Batman and thus a amplified extension of his theme. This this yes. far more like, you know, heavy hitting, uh, loud, big version. One thing that Giacchino loves to do, I've noticed it in several of his movies. Um, and I don't know how much this is Giacchino, but it has to be in some part his design because it's in multiple movies that he scored and it's not always Reeves directing. The sound design, the sound effects sometimes sync up musically with his with the score. The the scene in that or the the moment in that scene when they go through the 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 cones or like the the, the things on the side of the road that are yeah, like yeah. Uh -huh. it's rhythmic with the drums. They they act yes. as palm drums. Du -du 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 There's another moment where a car horn goes off in the same key as Ave Maria hitting the high note. Um, God, there's, there's multiple moments in this movie. I wrote a couple of them down. When, when uh, I noticed it specifically when the Batmobile skids and you hear, and you see the, the wheels lock and go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, another, another moment from another movie um, in um, Rogue One, the lightsabers are playing with the, the melody that like oh, when, yeah. Darth, when Darth Vader is, is cutting the rebels down on the, on the, on the blockade runner. Um, the lightsaber is is playing in rhythm and in harmony with the piece, like boom, 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 boom. You know, it's like it's in it, and it's it's something that is really unique. I don't hear a lot of. Um, I think I would I, I would say the other time I, I can point to it in a modern movie would be in um, Amazing Spider-Man 
two or one, which is the one with with um, Jamie Fox as uh, the two. two. Yeah, it's used in that, but I think it's a little bit more like obviously used there. Like, you know, like he like it's like part of his theme is like is like controlling like the the, the like substations and stuff, and it's it's it's, it's mixed in. But in Giacchino's movies, it tends to be just like almost like random but not random it's like it's like in really high uh, uh tense moments in the movies is when that happens and i don't know the significance of it but it's it's cool <laughs> i love it <laughs> yeah it's That's it's really unique I, I I wanted i i did try to watch the movie in its entirety before we recorded this i only got it about three quarters of the way through it's a long movie guys it's a um long movie, yeah and uh but i made sure like one one time i was like oh i really gotta go to bed so i'll i'll just watch I'll just get to the chase scene. I'm just going to get to the chase <laughs> scene. Because <laughs> like, that's, that scene is so great. It's really fun. When, because like, when he like, when he like, when Oz is like, you know, oh, I got you. And he bursts out of the, out of the flame. Oh man. Especially um, if that was the, the thing that was used prominently in the marketing was that, that final shot of him, like, you know, walking towards, towards the up, uh, upside down car and stuff with the bomb, bomb, you know, that, that's sort of the climax of that impending doom of the vengeance theme, like the payoff from the initial trailer is getting to that scene in the movie. So and, it, and the theme and the theme kind of knows it too with the way that it does this this heavy triumphant sound uh for it the vengeance theme never gets i think much bigger than it does in that moment it's because it adds the the fifth so it's not just you know like it has it has the extra energy in there um right. that extra that extra harmony it's really powerful there's a uh, something they do is they they're using these shrill uh, hit sounds that come in when the penguin is walking up on Selena just before the car revs up. Mm. And that is worked into the chase piece. It's uh, used. I, not I'm not going to say it's Oz's theme, but it's used for seeing Oz in yeah. the chase. Um, and it gets this really restricted sounding version when he's trapped in the semis. Which I really I like. And listen to it because I can't picture the thing you're talking about, but I I, I, I trust that it's in there. Yeah. Um, that's cool. Do you know what instrument was doing that? No, God, no. I was I was hoping that you would know what I'm talking about. <laughs> sure, I could tell you. I, just, I can't I can't I can't think of it. I can I can picture a lot of that a lot of that 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 piece of music, but mostly just like the 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 energy of it. I can't really find that instrument in my head. Just just trust that like. G Kino does a really good job of of narrowing the sound down to make it feel like you are feeling the restriction that Oz is feeling trapped between the semis and behind the semi in that moment and sure. knowing the Batman is coming up on him and it's mixing in the Batman, the, the vengeance theme as he's approaching and all that. Oh, it creates such a good tension. Like you were talking about how, how Batman is seen like, it's like Jaws, like that, that moment of like, like, Oh, this, this is Jaws' victim. just about ready to get, Get the, mm-hmm. get the get the jaws as it were um right. and like you 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 feel it tense like oz because you're like oh shit he's coming yeah oh it's very tense i think especially with the build-up of seeing the car and 
you know, it's so it's so well staged. You hear the car, you see the car, zooms in on the car, you go back to Oz looking at the car, looking at, you know, go back to the car and like, everybody's like, and then, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's just, it's so heavy. It's, it, it's yeah. The it's car, so the car revving up, the car turning on immediately and revving up. Like you're not quite sure if that's score or not. Yes. Yes, I forgot. That's the thing I wanted to mention too. The revving of the engine is almost built into the score as well. Just like a, a lot of the sound design gets gets built in. You're unsure if that's like you know like low double bass tremolo or, or something, and then then you see the car and you're oh, it's the Batmobile. this Batmobile. I Me love too. that it's like just like this homemade hot rod like piece of shit car. It's so rad. This is uh this has become my favorite Batmobile. Uh, oh. I've got the I got the Hot Wheels for it. It's beautiful. It's cuz it it looks like the car built by somebody who's a maniac. It doesn't like <laughs> that was my okay, I I don't like stepping on the Dark Knight cuz I think it's a wonderful movie, but that was one of my problems with the Batmobile the Dark Knight. It's like Okay, it's a tank. The the stakes have been removed. Like you win, you have a tank. <laughs> it also just makes me feel like I'm watching a billionaire, which I know I am, but I feel like I'm watching a billionaire in the dark night. In this, I feel like I'm watching a trauma survivor, which maybe oh. a little bit more apt. And I think it's important that that the Riddler points out that Batman is separated from orphans. He's not a real orphan. He's a billionaire because throughout the movie, we are in the mind of the Batman. And I think to some degree, when we see the Batman, the Batmobile, we're supposed to think it's as cool as Batman thinks it is. <laughs> um, I think I, I, the movie does do a few notes of like trying to make you recognize like Batman's Bruce Wayne's privilege while also being like, he can also have trauma. He can also have horrible trauma. And those things are not mutually exclusive. Well, cause they tell it from the perspective of, of Bruce Wayne. So you're really supposed to be in the head or in, in his head and feeling his trauma. And, and that comes across really well, right? You really do feel like, wow, there's a lot of dissociative pain going on in this character. And I think it's really um, deliberately done that the Riddler at the end of the, towards the end of the movie says, you're not a real orphan. You know, you're just, you're just a billionaire in an ivory tower, you know, and stuff. And it's, it's meant to be a moment where the audience and Bruce Wayne at the same time go, Oh yeah, there's some privilege here. I, we got a little wrapped up in this because we're, we're being told the story from the perspective of the Batman. So up until that point, you're kind of just supposed to be like, yeah, go get him, Batman, you poor orphan. And then, and then the perspective is, 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 is displayed. And that's the moment when that integral shift happens in the movie and the Batman can start growing into a servant of the people. So none of this happened, happened by accident. It's all on purpose. <laughs> and, and just, you know, a quick rundown of uh, the vengeance scene, Giacchino does such a good job of of slowing it down or using different instruments within all this kind of stuff for the detective work, stalking the penguin, mm -hmm. um, 
he brings in this big dramatic drum sound for when Bruce is breaking into the iceberg lounge. Mm -hmm. And then like maybe one of the most Imperial March sounding versions of it is in that hallway scene uh, when he comes up in the elevator. I think that's the closest I get to hearing it like very in sync with the Imperial March. Yes, definitely. It's because the um, rhythm is, is the same. It, it goes one more note. Wait, wait, um, bum, bum, bum. Yeah. In fact, wow, funny. <laughs> Talking about music theory right now, the, the 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 vengeance theme is a major third. And every major chord. The major third is the most prominent harmony, but every major chord has has three notes, the root, the, th- the major third, and what's called the fifth. And if you add the fifth, you have the Imperial March. It's mm. just one note of the major chord removed. Both of them use major. Like the least major sounding themes. It's so crazy. There's like a whole, there's a whole essay to be written on, 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 on the use of major in, in, in position. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, and then one last uh, note on on different uses of the vengeance theme the um, the way he employs it when Bruce is fighting with the gunman uh, makes it feel really impressive how Batman is mowing yeah. through them. Yeah, it's like bam, 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 <laughs> that kind of yes. like flight and movement. Yeah, it's it it's utilizing space really effectively, mm-hmm. um, which is to say that it's not hammering away at the theme. It's using it for moments like when he's when he's like flying through the air or sent or like throwing a punch or something to give the action more more emphasis. Right. And, you know, not just like it's not like that. Right. It's it's very it's very um, constructed and um, well conceived. Right. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I mean, not to deep throat this entire score, uh, but uh, <laughs> it's pretty good, so it's kind of worth it. Uh, do you want to do any final thoughts on it? Oh, let me think about this for a second. I, I we really covered all my notes. I, I was actually really uh, impressed and surprised at at, at, at at how similar our notes were. I was like thinking, oh man, I'm going to have to talk about all these things and, and find places to play, to bring them up. And it's like, oh no, Sam, Sam Brown got this. <laughs> so, all right, <laughs> great. Um, yeah, we kind of we kind of touched on all the th- things that I wanted to touch on. I mean, really, I wanted to wrap it back to. Um, you know what I was talking about at the beginning—the the, the sort of like thesis of it—that themes are themes are still integral to the um, uh, to our connection to the characters in, in movies, and they can be really really simple and still be effective. The um, the thing that I wanted to talk about most about it, though, was just that you know as we as we go out and continue to watch movies, paying attention to 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 the themes when we, when we do watch those movies gives us a different insight on the characters. Um, but we're going to be left wanting with a lot of, a lot of movies if we try and pay too much attention to the score, because it's not always done this well, it's not always done in this way. So, you know, hopefully the takeaway, you know, to anybody listening is like, take an active participation in, in listening to the movie score as you're watching the movie 
Um, and you might start recognizing, you know, where the movie score is failing and where it's succeeding. Um, <clears throat> just, but um, really the most important thing in regards to this movie is that themes aren't dead, you know, themes are still alive and they, are, they can be really, really simple. And sometimes the simplicity of it um, is what makes it so good. In this case, it's like, it, it was like, it had to be simple by design of the film. Um, so yeah, just, just themes are great and should still be used. <laughs> I think, I think going off that note is like, you know, do that with movies where something in the score is already standing out to you. I think something in the way <laughs> so that, so that you're pursuing that um, because it's pretty hard to like, it's really hard to pick out all the the nuances of the score oh, yeah. the first yeah. time you watch it. Um, I appreciated so much. Like this is the first time, this is really the first time except for um, maybe <laughs> the last Jedi, which has the, uh, a bonus feature uh, digital bonus feature where you can watch the movie with just John Williams score, um, which yeah. is, oh, is, is <laughs> 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 you say an improvement. Yes. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the last 10. I'm just joking. <laughs> I know you do. Um, but that I think this was the first time aside from that where like I really focused on the score while watching the film, like completely yeah. like at every beat, what is happening with the score here? What is happening with the score here? Um, mm -hmm. Instead of just the moments when it's most noticeable. Yeah. I think uh, kind of like culturally, culturally, um, uh, I don't want to say influenced, but like encouraged maybe to pay less attention to the scores in a lot of modern blockbuster. We're mostly sure. to, to pay attention to whatever the, the, the hype of the franchise is pushing at the time. Um, so, you know, maybe, maybe we'll make a difference. Maybe people will start taking an active participation in listening to music and it'll change the whole world. <laughs> I think when it comes to franchises, themes are more important than they are in individual films. Oh yeah. Um, because you, the Indiana Jones franchise, for example, isn't, as good if that theme isn't isn't just incredible and right because think a little star baby <laughs> because like what what that does is what 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 that does is connects you to characters in a way that 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 you don't often and so what we talked about in the beginning with the mcu one of the things that that really that we were talking about for a very 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 long time is how the mcu kind of missed a trick and 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 like when you're watching the avengers the iron man theme plays you're like oh there's iron man i so happy to see Iron Man. I'm pumped because Iron Man is here. Captain America has a, has a distinctive theme that I really like, and and that gets some play, but no one else does. And I think over time, themes have kind of emerged, yeah. and things have been and what was kind of background music has been used as themes, mm -hmm. but there's not really, there wasn't really mm -hmm. a, a concerted effort to do something like that. And we I and spotting. What? We talked about spotting right earlier about how like you know, you need to go through the process of spotting to put music in your movie in, in integral points so that it, it, it tells the story along with the movie. And that was like the, the missing piece from the, the, the macro of the, the Avengers, the, the Marvel uh, MCU is nobody did spotting for the whole big picture. Yeah. You know? And what happens is just like you're saying later on, maybe, Oh, somebody like goes, goes back and writes a theme. And now that theme gets used, but it's not established in the beginning. So who cares? Like, like, yes, Captain America has a good theme, but it isn't developed and utilized across 
the zoomed out MCU, not to not to its potential anyway. Yeah. And so I'm a composer with pretty good pitch. I I can't remember what it sounds like, and I've seen all the MCU movies many times. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, it all but disappears by the time Winter Soldier rolls around. And and that's like the the peak of his of his like uh, character arc in the in the films anyway. That's where it should be most prominent. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but all this is all this is to say this thing that Bat, what the Batman did so well is kind of, and the reason why I think it was important to start this show with the Batman, and we're, we've got a list of of of, of movies that we're going to go through, and we're and I'm really excited that we're doing the show finally. I'm, I'm I'm grateful as hell to be here, the ninth podcast of the Victor Podcast Channel, um, and I <laughs> I think that it, I think that what's what what is what is so important to know is that, that you know this. This film isn't an anomaly. Isn't an anomaly. It is rarer to get something like this now, but it, it happens, and it's really nice when it does. And it's really great that we can dive into a score like this. And it's really awesome that this that this film exists with a score that, at first glance, was simple, yeah. only to realize how complicated it really was. In fact, to what you're saying there, I think I disregarded it immediately for its simplicity because I've come to expect to be disappointed by scores. I, I heard da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, that's not very interesting. Next. But yeah. if I had not been so jaded, I might have taken a, an active engagement a lot earlier on and been like, oh, what are they going to do with that? But because I'm just so used to movies not really impressing me with scores, I just, eh, whatever. <laughs> um, there are a lot of composers out there modern composers in, in more independent contexts that are doing a really good job. Like a displat is something that, 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 that somebody that comes to mind, you know, in his work with like, um, uh, uh Anderson, Wes Anderson. I, I always love the music he does for, for Wes Anderson's movies always. And they're always distinctive. Um, you know, you have other people, people I don't do as much these days, like Howard Shore, but man, Howard Shore is great. Um, sure. God, there's a lot of composers that are still alive from like the golden era that I don't hear anything from anymore, like Bruce Broughton or Randy Edelman. You know, like what was the last time you heard James Newton Howard? <sighs> right? Exactly. I was thinking about well, I was thinking about that the other day. Like, where'd he go? Yeah. And John, you know, John Williams would we also wouldn't hear anymore if they didn't keep pulling franchises out, bringing them out of retirement. <laughs> I have a theory on this, and I'm probably wrong. I don't have enough research to to back it up, but I'll just say it. I think that. A lot of these people are, you know, what, what, what's the term in 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 uh, for a director auteurs? You know, like I think I think as far as composers go, I think you know it's originally Howard Shore, James Newton Howard. These people, uh, uh, or James James Newton Howard, yeah, yeah, Howard. Oh, Howard Shore, James Newton Howard. Weird. Um, you know, I think they. I, I don't know them personally, but I, I imagine they probably have a streak of perfectionism and, and, and are very like serious about their craft. And maybe they don't like the way that Hollywood is, is molding uh, the music to the, to the movies anymore. And maybe they're taking on less projects. Cause they're like, I don't want to be, I don't want my artistic uh, control to be compromised by attaching myself to this movie. And we don't see them as much. They do do independent films. If you go and you look at the, the Spotify for, for a lot of these composers, it's like, Oh, wow, this was released last year. I never heard about this movie, you know? And, yeah. and I think it's just because more and more of these, these really great composers are trying to work with people that you know give them more creative control than these giant corporate entities are allowing for so the people that remain are the people that can work with the system or don't mind that le level of control or people like Hans Zimmer who've established a company 
like their company within this system uh, to to sort of like I don't want to say exploit, but you know, like you know, they're basically part of the system. You know, Hans Zimmer is a composer, but he's also a company with a lot of lot of people that do right. writing under him. That's so why, that's why kind. that's why that's why Hans Zimmer can do a movie like Dune and The Boss Baby. <laughs> We'll generously say Hans Zimmer had a hand in Boss Baby, right? But that's what I'm saying. I, 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 mentioned, why. <laughs> I mentioned this. I mentioned this on the podcast. And we'll, well, I'm sure we'll do an episode on Hans Zimmer. I'm sure we'll do do something about his score. I mentioned this on the podcast that I think there's two Hans Zimmers. I think there's Hans Zimmer and Hans Zimmer's intern. There's Hans Zimmer who oh, does do a lot of interns. <laughs> no, right, but, but like I'm generalizing, obviously. Yes, like, of course. There, there's obviously Hans Zimmer who's doing do. Dune is a great has a great score. I, I like I like Dune. I think Hans Zimmer did Dune, and then there's his intern who's doing the Boss Baby. And what's more, too, is something that doesn't get talked about a lot um, is you know especially in regards to like Dune, Alan Meyerson, the producer, he's got a huge hand in the sound of Hans Zimmer because he yeah. is the, the the final say on the production quality. And when it comes to Dune, not very many hummable melodies in Dune, but a lot of really cool sounds, right? That's sure. a lot, Alan Meyerson. Um, oh boy, what was I going to say? I had a thing, but I lost it. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, to Hans Zimmer's credit, though, he is very good about not wanting to take sole credit for things. He mm-hmm. he is, you know, pretty vocal about like, hey, it's a collaborative process. I'm not the only person involved here. But culturally speaking, we tend to attribute a lot of artistic. Uh, design and work to single entities, single people, because we see a name attached and we go, oh, that's a Hans Zimmer thing. Uh, and, you know, even when they don't try and take up that mantle themselves, it's like we have a hard time distancing ourselves from that that relationship to artists. We think, oh, so-and-so did this. They're solely responsible. But that's not always the case. Um, and I think we see that a lot in, in movie scores, just like we see a composer attached to a project and we think, oh, that's, they they did this. But on that exact subject, Think, like take John Williams. We keep coming back to John Williams. Um, there are eras of John Williams, and those eras are very demonstrably divided between who his orchestrator was at the time. Herb Spencer is like Raiders and Star Wars, and then he passed away. And I think Jurassic Park. I may be mistaken. Jurassic Park was the first time that he didn't have Herb Spencer. Listen to the the scores back to back for like like. Uh, Raiders or Temple of Doom is a really good example. He was like, it was like Herb Spencer and John Williams just like flexing on each other. And um, if you listen to that back to back with Jurassic Park, you can hear a very distinct difference in the tone and color palette because he had, um, I'm going to get these names wrong. Christian Pope and Alexander Courage were his orchestrators. I think there was another third guy there in Jurassic Park. But there was a lot more, too many cooks. There's a lot more, a lot more hands in the kitchen. Um, Well, hello. (laughs) <laughs> Whoa. Okay. A lot more hands in the kitchen uh, for that score. And it it, 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 sh- it it shows there's a very big difference. To me, like, you guys hear that? Yeah. Yeah. What's going on? Next door or something. Somebody's like moving a huge table or something. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, you know, to me, like, like the, the, the combination between Herb Spencer and Don Williams is like a band, you know, like that's like my favorite band is those two guys working together. And not to say I don't like Jurassic Park because it's one of my favorite scores, but also it's a totally different score.
sure. It's a totally different sound. And like everything from that era on was a totally different John Williams sound if you if you really go in and analyze it. And so it comes back to, you know, we attribute the works to, to, to single people. We think, oh, this is all John Williams across the board. But like, you know, think of the different eras of John Williams. There's different sounds to be to be had. And people don't always pay attention to that. So. All right. Well. I think that's something we'll be striving to do with the yeah. show going forward. Um, so yeah. we've got, uh, as Brandon alluded to earlier, we have a fantastic uh, list of films for this year. We haven't quite filled in every single slot, but we're close. Um, and we're going to give you one a month. Um, expect us every third Monday of a month. And that's when we'll be here talking about scores. Um, okay. so. Uh, that'll do it for today's discussion on this score uh, of the Batman by Michael Giacchino, a, a rousing premiere episode for us, I think. Oh yeah. Um, so we'll close out with uh, uh, Brandon, where can the folks find you? Well, you can find me all over the internet, BC McClure on Instagram and Twitter. Um, it's just those are my social medias. I also write for CBR.com. Uh, I write lists for them. I also write for atomicgeekdom.com where I write, news and features and things like that. And I write for kaijuramamedia.com where I also edit their website. Um, you can find all sorts of pieces there. Uh, wonderful collaboration, collaborators uh, and team, all of them, as well as, of course, there's the Fickner Podcast. This is uh, part of the Fickner Podcast family podcast. This is So there's tons of shows that you want to check out at ficknerpodcast.com. If you want, if you, you, you like this, you're like, gee willikers, what else do they do? Bunch. Go to ficknerpodcast.com and you can check out all sorts of things. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram most primarily. That's where I, I tend to to post my uh, music and just, you know, I'm on there as, as Jeremy Vellucci. I think my um, my handle, though, is Jeremy Vellucci underscore Wreck of Time because my band Wreck of Time. Um, and uh, which you can also find Wreck of Time on Instagram and YouTube and uh, Spotify, all that stuff if you like progressive metal. And uh, we just released an album in October. So that's that's out there. And where else can you find me? I guess Twitter, uh, Jeremy Vellucci on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I don't do much on social media these days. <laughs> I should do more. All right. And lastly, you can find me uh, for my socials. They're all related to the fake nerd network. So you can find me at Sparks Witty, S-P-A-R-K-Z Witty. Uh, I'm mostly involved in on fake nerd network stuff so that's where you'll check it out uh if you enjoyed hearing us talk about this you can hear brandon and i give more thoughts on the batman from when it came out uh by going to um the fake nerd network and looking up our our batman review it's there um so check all that out and here we are and that'll do it and we'll see you next time on the real score And if you want to hear me talk more about the Batman, just go into the middle of the city, find me on a street corner. I will just be shouting, I'll just screaming about my opinions on the Batman and really just like corporate involvement in movies in general. And it's a really good time. You know, we bring snacks, there's hot dogs, there's chips, lots of chips, too many chips, really. Um, help me eat chips while I scream about Batman.
Come scream about Batman and eat chips. I really expected you. I really expected you to do too many chips on the piano. And I expected. <laughs> oh, a lost opportunity for a motif that we were blending through the whole episode. We got to do the whole show again. <laughs>